The NBA season is heading into the home stretch, and Clipper fans, well, they're feeling pretty good right now. With only a handful of games left in the season, it's all but certain that they're going to be in the playoffs. But one of their potential opponents, the Golden State Warriors, are certainly no pushovers. They're currently eighth overall in points per game and third in rebounds, and there's one other category where the Warriors excel, and that's sales. Despite a weak record over the past years, there have consistently been just a handful of NBA teams to average home crowds of 18,000 or more. So... How do they do it? Here to help us understand how they do it is Brandon Schneider. He's the Golden State Warriors Vice President of Ticket Sales and Services. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thanks, I appreciate that. So, Brandon, there's a couple of things that the Warriors are known for. One, the cool new jerseys the team uh, has begun to sport. I love them. I, I like wearing the tight-fitting kind of T-shirts anyway, so I, I love that uh, to begin with. But number two, a rabid fan base. Now, according to the NBA's home attendance report, the team hasn't fallen out of the top 20 in game attendance since 2005. How do you, how do you explain that? Well, I mean, you hit on the key thing. We, we certainly have great fans and are lucky to be in a great market like the Bay Area, and people support the Warriors through thick and thin. I mean, we just – our fans have great loyalty. Um, so I, I think that's probably the first and foremost. But, you know, we certainly work hard on the back end of things to make sure, um, you know, that we're smart in, in how we price tickets so we're, we're affordable, uh, make games fun beyond just the actual basketball itself because, yeah, unfortunately, this year's the, been the exception to the rule. But we've had years where – uh, the, the the product on the court maybe wasn't the, as big of a draw as it, as you mentioned it is for the Clippers. <laughs> yeah, the 0506 season, the record was 34 and 48, uh, 48 losses. So how, I mean, how do you manage to to keep those ticket sales going when the team isn't? performing like you'd want them to when when they can't help you out yeah so i, I think the most important thing and, and the thing that, that teams strive for is is to have a, a large season ticket base so um season tickets um represent you know uh, more than half of our building if you do it right and, and more than half of our building is is held by season ticket holders um so so that allows you um you know to not be at the mercy of how the team's performing so th- the benchmark that the nba looks at is having ten thousand full season ticket holders um, and, and so we've been right around that mark. We're, we're now over 13,000 season ticket holders. Um, but that puts you in a position where regardless of how the team plays, you, you have that many people that have tickets for every game. Um, and then beyond that, you know, one of the big things that, that's new over the last couple of years um, is we've moved to dynamic pricing. So, you know, we, we've all, you know, been online and bought an airplane ticket or, or a hotel room um, where the price changes based on how close to the to the day of the flight that, you, that you're booking and, and based on the day of the week, the time of day, all those types of things. Um, now, is there... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go, you go ahead. Okay. So I was just going to say, uh, so that's something that we've implemented in a big way. So you have certain opponents, the Clippers, you know, you mentioned being one of them, the Lakers, the Miami Heat are big opponents. So you're going to charge more for those tickets than you might for a weekday game against a less popular team, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Now, having a big season ticket base is one thing, though, but that still leaves a lot of empty seats. Uh, how, how do you account to fill up the other parts of the arena that uh, that maybe aren't already taken? Yeah, so a lot of it comes from analytics, and, and pricing is a, is a big thing because you want to make sure that you're reaching out to different demographics, right? So so your Lakers game, your Miami Heat game um, have the most popularity, so you price those the highest. And then you you have a lot of people out there that may be more price sensitive that want, that like would like to go to a basketball game um, but can't afford it or, or just are more price sensitive. You know, so, so what we would say is demand's more elastic there. And so um, you take some of your less popular games that might otherwise be harder to fill, and, and you price those lower. Um, you know, last year we were 23 and, and 43, so that uh, a good dichotomy compared to where we are this year. Um, and, and we were still able to to have good attendance. And again, your Miami, your Lakers games are going to sell either way. Um, but but to, to have people um, interested in going to some of your weekday games, 
Um, price is a big thing. So that's one piece of it. But beyond season tickets, I look at it as three things. You've got individual tickets, which is what we're talking about for the most part um, with pricing. And then you've got group tickets. So large uh, group events, heritage nights, big groups for an individual game. And then you have partial season packages, which are kind of like season tickets, but a, a part of the season. Um, group tickets is a big thing. So creating a situation where people are coming um, more for the event than just for the game. Um, I'll give you an example. We've got Bollywood night coming up on March 11th mm. against the New York Knicks. Um, so that's tapping into the Indian community. And so, you know, we'll have stuff going on pregame, postgame, during timeouts. Our Warriors girls will be wearing um, Bollywood um, outfits, uh, you know, and that allows us to reach out to the Indian community and tap into people that maybe aren't necessarily huge basketball fans. Um, so again, team performance isn't why they're buying the ticket, but are interested in coming out to that event. And we have things like that going on, you know, virtually every game. Some games, you know, multiple things going on. In the Bay Area, do you ever market toward the gay and lesbian community, considering how that can sometimes be a sticky issue in sports? Yeah, good question. Um, and, and I think a number of teams do. So, yeah, we, we've got LGBT night, which this year will be the third year in a row that we're doing it. Um, still settling on a date, but it's going to be held in April. I believe it's going to end up being April 3rd. Um, but, yeah, we, we definitely um, that's definitely one group that we, that we uh, reach out to. When it comes to season tickets, that's an an expensive purchase. I mean, that, that's that's uh, for the most part. Anytime you, any team sells a, a big patch, package of a, of a season tickets, you're really committing a lot. How do you, how do you price those to encourage people to buy the whole season? Yeah. So um, again, a lot of analytics there. So you've got your pricing from the previous year as kind of a baseline. Um, it, because no team's starting from scratch unless you had another expansion team. So you're look, you look at where your prices were, and then you look at sec- a lot of secondary market data and sell-through data to see what areas have been more popular, less popular as you're adjusting prices year to year. Uh, team performance certainly plays into it. Um, but y- y- So we've got 16 different price levels in our building. Um, season ticket prices ranging from $10 all the way up to $2,500. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a huge disparity based on seat location. Um, so that's what you're trying to do. You're, 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 and again, it, it, it appeals to having something for everybody. You have some people that want the best seat in the house regardless of price, and then you have some people on the other end of the spectrum that, that want the most affordable ticket and then everywhere in between. When did you start using all this data, all, all these equations to try and uh, come up with uh, pricing that, uh, that everyone can afford and then that, that keeps you as close to selling out as many games as possible? Yeah, I think we've always used it to an extent. I mean, we've always looked at numbers. Um, personally, I'm business economics major, accounting minor, so you, you know you're you're used to looking at spreadsheets and, and, and analyzing. Um, but but particularly in the last two to three years, uh, with with new ownership, one of the edicts is to become the most digital uh, digitally fit organization in sports, um, and I think that extends to to our group as well. Um, and, and so, and, and part of it's data available to you. Um, one of our partners is Stratbridge, company out of Boston, who helps us with our dynamic pricing with a lot of our reporting and dashboards. So they're able to aggregate secondary market data for us. Uh, you know, where in the past we would look at it and quote unquote analyze it, um, but it wasn't really um, in a manageable state for us. Now they're able to aggregate pricing for us, and so we can look at one screen that shows us every single price range, what the average posting price is for every game. Um, you know, so we have our own sell-through data that we're looking at, but to be able to access things like that are, are things that continue to evolve. So f- for us, and, and this is going to continue into perpetuity, it's staying on the cutting edge of, of being able to leverage, um, you know, all the assets that you have at your fingertips. Dynamic pricing. A lot of teams are, are trying, to, trying to figure that out. Dodgers uh, here in Los Angeles are, are looking into that as well. Ex- explain dynamic pricing, what that means. Yeah, uh, re- really key thing. So 
um, the first part of it is variable pricing. So when, when the schedule comes out, NBA schedule usually comes out late July, early August. So the first thing, the first piece of dynamic pricing is is pricing your games according to expected demand. So in the old days, every game was priced the same. And there's still t- some teams that do that, which we used to. And, and looking back on it, I, I, I don't know how uh, we did things that way. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just it just doesn't make sense for two reasons. One, we all know there's certain games that are more popular than others. So it's just like the airline industry, if they price every flight the same, what would happen? Well, everyone would fly out on Friday and come back on Sunday. Those flights would sell out and there'd be no one else on any other flight. Well, same thing with us. If you price every game the same, everyone's going to be at the Lakers game and then your weeknight lesser opponents, no one's going to go. Um, and in the past, we found ourselves discounting, and, and, and which isn't what you want to do brand-wise, and it penalizes people that bought early. It's just not good. The, the other piece, the dynamic piece of it is in the old days, in July or August, you, you would set ticket prices for games in April. Well, if you think about that, that, that's ludicrous. Your season hasn't started. Uh, there's so many different factors that are going to evolve. How could you possibly know the optimum price six, seven, eight months before a game is going to happen? So we variably price tickets according to expected demand. And again, looking at data from previous seasons, secondary markets, sell through, all kinds of different factors. The dynamic piece allows us to shift prices up and down according to actual demand. So we look at supply and demand during the season, and as games pick up um, demand-wise and, and supply dwindles, we're able to raise prices. And if t- games aren't selling well, in theory, we could lower prices, although that's not typically something we do. For the NBA, sometimes the season overlaps with Major League Baseball and also the NFL. And for you, the Oracle Arena is right next door to where the Oakland Raiders play and also where the Oakland A's play. And you also share the market with the San Francisco 49ers. How do you account for that when you get into uh, ticketing and pricing? Yeah, really good question. So one piece um, that probably gets overlooked by some teams, and, 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 and some teams have a little different situation than us, but we work with the NBA to do our schedule. And so there's a certain number of dates that you have to give to the NBA, and part of that's based on arena availability. So there's some teams that have that house a hockey team or things like that, but you also got to look at concert schedules. So there's there's a balancing act there. But we, we, we want to play as many weekend games as we can. It's family-friendly, um, easier for people that are coming commuting from a distance. Um, so you know weekend games are, are at a premium. So we want to we want to have as many weekend games as we can. The only exception are Sundays during the football season, right? I mean, a dual event with a Raiders game <laughs> hurts interest-wise. You get you know fifty, sixty thousand people at the Raiders game, but also hurts fan-wise logistically trying to park traffic, you know, all that kind of stuff. We share a parking lot uh, with the Raiders and the A's, so we we don't we we, we won't have any. Um, home games on Sundays during football season and during the playoffs where the Niners or the Raiders could be in the playoffs, we also don't have any Saturday uh, dates that we give to the league. So that's just, that makes sense, you know, from our standpoint, but more so for the fans. I mean, at the end of the day, we look at everything and and if we can make things attractive for the fans, that's also going to benefit our business, right? I mean, if fans are happy, they're going to want to come to games. That's good for us as well. Brandon, do you use uh, giveaways, special theme nights uh, when the Warriors play a game where the opposition might not be that uh, that enticing to go to? Yeah, so th- that's that's a good question, a big piece of it. So the Heritage Nights and the group events that I mentioned, there, there are usually tie-ins that are specifically tied to that ticket. So you know, a Bollywood happens to be one where we have a T-shirt giveaway for everyone in attendance. Uh, we do some group events, like the LGBT would be an example where, um, you know, whether it's 200, 500, 1,000 people that buy that specific ticket, there may be a, a, a shirt or a wristband or something tied to that. Um, and then the other side of it would be kind of door giveaways. Um, baseball does probably the most of this, and they, they have the advantage of um, the schedule coming out really, really early compared to the season. But and more games, too. More games, yeah, so more weekday games. You're right, there's there's a lot of uh, differences there. But we, our biggest giveaway would be a, bo- a bobblehead giveaway. So this year we've done, we've already had three, we have one more left, so four bobblehead giveaways. And, and as you... Um, 
you know, as you hinted, we strategically place those on weeknight games that would otherwise probably be less popular opponents. And so what that does is, is it helps, um, you know, sell more tickets for those games. People are excited to get a David Lee or a Steph Curry or an Andrew Bogut or a Clay Thompson bobblehead. Um, and, and the way we do it is a door giveaway. So it's typically the first 10,000 fans. So it gets people getting to the game early, which creates a better atmosphere. Um, and then, you know, that's something where dynamically, though, dynamic pricing wise, those games tend to raise in price because there is so much demand. So it not only does it sell extra in- incremental tickets for those games, but it ends up becoming a higher price ticket. Okay, Brandon, let's look at your next home game. Team plays the Toronto Raptors on a Monday night, March 4th. The Raptors, not entirely uh, a great team. They're not the Miami Heat or anything like that. <laughs> so what do you got in mind for that game on Monday night? Yeah, real good question. So um, I mentioned the variable pricing piece, and, and, and really that's such an important part of this is, is getting it right out of the shoot. You can make adjustments um, to price dynamically. but So we had five pricing tiers this year. So the way we look at it internally are A, B, C, D, and E games. So because that the Raptors is as you mentioned, aren't necessarily the most popular opponent, um, although they're playing better with Rudy Gay now. Uh, and, and a Monday night is... Look at you trying to sell it already. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, we've been on the other end of the spectrum where teams probably look at us as their E-game, so I, you yeah. know, I don't want to take shots at other teams here. But So a Monday night game, Mondays are our um, least desirable night of the week. It, it, it's not the most desirable opponent. And we also are starting a seven-game homestand, seven games in 12 days, which, which is tough, right? People don't want to go to games every other day. So there's a lot of factors converging to make this a not a popular game. So it's an E game. What that means is we, we have an upper-level ticket that for the Lakers game was $95. For the Toronto Raptors game, that same ticket, $10. Uh, there's no discount there. That's just that's the variable price. That, that's, that's what we've looked at analytically to, to say that's the right price. And that price has gone up a little bit over the last several months. So you could have gotten a ticket for $10 if you bought early. So that's one of our monikers, buy early and save, and really is true because that $10 ticket for the Raptors game, I believe, is at $18 now, but still very, very affordable compared to other games. Um, we've been in a position, too, we're leading up to this game. Because it's the first game of the homestand, it's sold well. So at this point, we only have about 800 tickets left. Um, so And we've got some different group things going on. So we've got a lot of different things that have converged to put this, um, this game in a good light. The other thing that we've launched over the last week um, is our employee um, – our employee sales contest. So we have a, a ticket sales group, you know, that works uh, in my department. We got about 50 people that sell ticket suites um, and, and service and operations, all that stuff. But but our whole organization gets involved with this contest. We we divide the, the whole t- the whole organization into eight or ten teams, including our president, everybody. Um, and, and so we've got a, a week long friendly competition where we've got we've created links for each team. Winning team gets to have dinner with our general manager and our president. If we hit our, our organizational goal, we'll give the whole you know the whole organization a day off during the summer, which is nice. But um, so we've selected games um, specifically for the link. So the Raptors is one of the games available. So that'll that'll help us move a couple hundred tickets to friends and family at a nice price. So there's a variety of things we do to look at games that might otherwise be a tough uh, a tough game to fill. We've sold out 16 straight games, and uh, we plan on Toronto being number 17. If the Warriors make the playoffs, wouldn't that sell itself? Wouldn't you be able to take a break then? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I mean, the, the easy answer is yes, it helps. There's no question about that. 
but um, you know, as your team gets better, payrolls go up. Um, you know, a lot of things change. So you know, you you look at um, altering prices. So we we haven't raised our our season ticket prices in five years. Uh, we're one of only five teams in the NBA that can say that, and part of that's dictated by team performance. But now that we've we've grown our season ticket base, we've got the sixth most season ticket holders in the NBA, um, and, and you know, the team's obviously playing well. So we've actually raised our season ticket prices heading into next year, which is tough because we have a loyal fan base. Uh, you know, no one wants to have their prices increased, but that's that's part of the business and part of allowing us to continue to field a competitive team. So that 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 does affect things. Um, so you know, we we look at that. The other thing that we're spending our time doing, uh, as you've probably heard, is we plan on opening a new building in San Francisco uh, in 2017-18. So we're already using all of our analytics to start to look at how we're going to structure things, um, you know, heading into that building. Brandon Schneider is the Golden State Warriors Vice President of Ticket Sales and Services. Thanks a lot, Brandon. Hey, thank you very much. Enjoyed it.